0: The Christian life can be very, very difficult. Um, if you read about Christians around the world today, I guess North Korea is probably the hardest place where one can be a Christian in the world today. Um, quite <coughs> often sadly end up in a labour camp, living uh, pretty much next to nothing in terms of food, just because you follow Christ. So there's been a rise in uh, Hindu nationalism uh, in India, which has meant that Christians in India can find themselves under attack uh, and uh, mob rule. <clears throat> in Pakistan, so often Christian girls uh, are kidnapped and forced into marriages uh, with uh, Muslims. The Christian life can be very hard. i got a slide. Isn't it? In danger from false believers, I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've been hunger and thirst and often gone without food, and cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. It's quite some life that he lived, it's quite something that he did. And if you look at church history, we can see that life is very hard for Christians at times. And maybe we today can feel a little bit of that pressure ourselves. We live in a world that is very contentious with Christianity. It's, like it's almost a bit door-to-door and once in I trying to chat to people about the gospel, people are very sort of contentious, polite, but quite contentious when they realize that you're a Christian want to talk about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many people often think that Christianity is just going to die out and it's there and it won't really help. someone's feel like you know, making our work less. <laughs> people are rude about Christianity, maybe school people are rude about Christianity. And so the problems uh, can be difficult for us. And if that's your situation, you're sitting here thinking, yes, I'm a great exercise and I'm in the labor camp in North are maybe it's like struggling in some of the areas uh, that we, you know, largely seems hard because I'm a Christian. But I hope this morning you're going to find very, very encouraging because Jesus wrote this letter to the church in Philadelphia in order that his people might be uh, encouraged. Now I guess i need to turn this up off. So I'm going to see if I can turn this up back on. Through. So we're running a and here of the tunnel. So coming to this letter in Philadelphia we've been following uh, we've been following um, for uh, John and Jesus, is a journey round, and now we're got the fifth church, which is uh, Philadelphia. Um, it's a small church. It couldn't be more different from Silas, which is what we're looking at last week. Silas, you remember, was confident. It had a reputation for being alive, but actually was dead. Philadelphia couldn't be uh, could be more um, couldn't be more different. Sorry, fix the words. That's a a okay, so coming over to Philadelphia, we'll look at verse uh, eight with me. I know your deeds, uh, says Jesus. I placed before you, and I saw that knowledge. I know that you have little strength. Give me one. Right. Well, we'll take a second. It's to happen here, I'm going to take it to Kazan and we did That's the problem there. Where no, is <laughs> Got it? Thank you, you're Mr. Brown. Good. Um, So between our journey with Jesus and the Apostle John around the churches in Western Turkey, Jesus had a message for each of the seven churches, um, but it's clear that the message is just for everybody, As we've looked at these different churches, I think we see pretty clear, the message is for us to be really helpful and encouraging, and challenging times to be a little bit there. Today we get to Philadelphia, so it's very different from starless. they seem weak, powerless, but God really wants to encourage them. Now, so at this point, we are going to be really, really encouraged by what we read here. Let's look at the first point. Jesus, holy and true, who controls the door to heaven. One of the things we have noticed in these letters is that each letter begins with a description of who Jesus is, some aspect of his character that is really important. And here we get the fact that he is, these are the words, verse 7, of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of him, David. One of these interesting events is the presence of different groups that are in the churches and around the churches. So there's a group called the Nicolaitans who seem to be teaching false doctrines about Jesus. There were the um, the people who are following Jezebel in one of the churches. There were people who are following Bala in one of the churches. And there were the Jews and other groups and people who are um, suggesting uh, emperor worship as well. There were lots of different people suggesting the way to God was this way or that way or that way. I guess we can see that in our world today, it's multiplied many hundreds of times by the internet and social media. People again, all sorts of different ways that people are talking about God and how you can get to God. But Jesus makes this outrageous claim throughout the Gospels, throughout the Bible. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Our slightest like that absolute claim for truth, but Jesus makes it. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. You want to come to God? You come through with Jesus. And so Jesus here wants to make that point to remind us that he is the truth. And Jesus says that he holds the key on <coughs> what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. There's a lot of debates about what he means by open door. So Paul often uses that phrase about open door for mission. And I used it when I was praying this morning. So Paul prays about open door for mission. And some would suggest perhaps he opened the door for mission. But I think more likely if we come over a page, so page 1, 2, three, six, page 1, two, three, six. Uh, what? Jesus opened the door to. After I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. John John's called to see what's going on in heaven. I think more likely it's a door open into heaven. And Jesus is the one who holds the key. He's the one who controls the door, whether it's shut or open. He can let us in. He is the one who has your property. It's not anybody in this world, it's not ourselves. In the medicine, it's clear what he is going to do for the church into a dungeon. He is going to let them in. He is going to let them into heaven. First, kids' question who controls who gets into heaven? Who controls who gets into heaven? So, Jesus wants to remind us that he is the true God. And He is the one who opens the door into heaven. Well, here we come on to the commendation. You are weak, but you are faithful. Come back to chapter three and verse eight. I know your deeds. See our placed before you, open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength. So while is felt alive and great. The church in Philadelphia was small and weak. So you see, they were facing persecution hardness, and it felt like they had a little strength. They kept going, but at times it just felt like only just. Our second kid's question How much power did the church in Philadelphia have? How much power did the church in Philadelphia have? And maybe, John, that's how you feel about the Christian life at the moment. You feel like you're facing all sorts of hardships and difficulties, maybe it's your health, maybe it's relationship issues, maybe it's issues of work or school or whatever it is. Maybe things aren't going the way you want them. Maybe it's finding the Christian life hard. It's not what you thought it was going to be. From the beginning, you stand with many Christians around the world. You stand with the Apostle Paul, who spoke his weaknesses and hardships. Many down the ages have, uh, have great hardships. So there's Athanasius. Athanasius was the great leader who fought for the fact that Jesus really was God. Last week, you may remember we went to the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed, we came to the teaching of Athanasius. But in order to defend the fact that Jesus really was God, he really was our Savior, He was exiled seven times, sent away from his ministry seven times, just to say that. (coughs) Martin Luther, the great reformer, suffered from depression and hardship. At one point, it's like he's actually kidnapped for his own good. I reckon better to be kidnapped by his friends rather than being put to death by his enemies. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in the last century, again faced many, many hardships and difficulties. I know that you have little strength. Our world values power and strength and outward success. We've been intimidated by that, and the group seems so much more powerful and bigger, and more popular than we are. But Jesus wants to encourage this church and us in its weakness. Even though it has full power, it remains faithful. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Even though they had little power, they kept Jesus' word. they didn't deny him. Somehow, in the hardships and the difficulties, they continue to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. When they're put in difficult situations, they continue saying, no, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not going to deny this name." And if we're feeling weak and powerless, we need to keep asking that God would help us to do that. God would help us. To keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. To so keep praying, you know, Father, help me. I feel weak. I feel so <laughs> I can't keep going. Please help me to keep going. Please help me, Father, to be obedient. I'm having a hard time working. I'm having a hard time at home. People are giving to me the neck because I'm a Christian. Father, help me not deny your precious son. Please help me. And as we pray that, as so we feel our weakness, the rest of the heaven gives us three massive assurances. That I think will give us encouragement to keep persevering in the Christian life. And the first one is this. All right, so the your trauma plan will acknowledge you. Verse 9, let's take verse 9 together. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but so they are not, for the liars, so I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. One of the things that seemed to make uh, life so tough uh, in Philadelphia was the opposition of the synagogue. Um, in fact, we read the book of Acts again and again and again. It was the synagogue. It was the Jews who were the first people to really oppose the gospel in a hostile way. seems they were often jealous of what was going on. Christianity undermined their rituals and practices. They seemed to allow all sorts of unclean people in. The other thing is, has it been uh, church history is often the religious groups that are most hostile to the gospel. So, here it's the Jews, but uh, you, know, if you read about countries where, you say, the Orthodox Church has strong poverty, you imagine it's like a stronghold, the imagine want to come in and of preach the Bible preach Jesus. It's often them who are very hostile to all Muslims. It's often the religious groups who seem the most Hostile to the gospel well, here. When we set up the Church Church, the strongest opposition came from the, the uh, established church, the Anglican church here, to see, to see us as a threat, to the fact that we're going to be here trying to tell people about Jesus. It's <coughs> so often religious groups. Sometimes that's a bit of a surprise, sometimes it's always uh, the atheist sort of agnostic. Often they're fairly apathetic. It's so often the religious groups that are the most strongly opposed to the gospel. Now, as we read this, I want you to make the language, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, thank you, Jews, they are not, the lies. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. The language that is very strong, maybe we think, oh, calling a synagogue, a synagogue of Satan, is a bit strong. But Jesus' logic goes like this. The thing that the devil does is the devil lies. Think back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are there. The devil lies, the devil um Lies about God. And so anyone who lies about God, about Jesus, is of Satan. And as that was what the Jews were doing, I denying Jesus, that he really was God's son and he was the Messiah, then they're lying. And therefore, by the logic of the scriptures, they are of Satan. Anyone who is lying about God death, the Bible says they are of Satan. uses that strong language. But there's great promise here in verse 9. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Jesus foretells a day when these people, the strong and the powerful, those who have given the Christians a hard time, they will come and bow down to the church and say, you were right, God loved you, or loves you. And I hope that that is a massive encouragement to us. As well, the office atheist names the mediators, imagine having a Richard Dawkins, who wrote a god illusion, and behind that there's probably no gods, so stop worrying. He is going to come down and acknowledge to Christians that they were right, that God loves them, that Jesus is his son. I think that is a great encouragement to us. I say we're sort of we a media out there that against Christianity, that like to make fun of you, jokes Christianity, sometimes it like fell overwhelmed. But Jesus promised to one day, they'll come, they were right, they'll come, they'll bow say, God loves you, God loves, you were right. Uh, we're on the third question. Fourth question what will those who oppose Christians do? What will those who are Christians do? So I guess the first question was, did Paul have a comfortable life? So I think we're encouraged by it. So that's the first encouragement. No, it's not right there. Um, The second encouragement, God will not let you suffer more than you can bear. God will not let you suffer more than you can bear. The church in Philadelphia has a little power. Verse 10. Since you kept my commands to endure patiently, I also keep you from the hour of trial that is going on, that's going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. God wants there are many great hardships that come upon the earth. Something the whole world is going to experience. And we're going to work through the rest of Revelation probably sometime next year, we'll be looking at that in more detail. But God here encourages the church of Philadelphia, they will not experience those hardships. And I'm going to take great encouragement for that. God is in control of all the hardships and difficulties that come on the earth. And He knows what the church of Philadelphia can bear. He knows what we can bear. And so He's saying to, say to the church in Philadelphia, it's okay, I know what you can bear. So going to be great hardship going to come. But you're not going to have to experience it. Now it's really important to set that point. But that does not mean Christians will never suffer. Right? understand that clearly. Jesus has already told the church in Smyrna that they're going to go to prison. Uh, we read about the death of the guy called Antipas in Pergamon. We've heard about people's poverty and hardships and sufferings. And of course, many face them today. And we may face them. But he doesn't show us the goal among those people suffer more than they can bear. And he wants us to know that. To encourage us that even in hardships, he knows what we can and can't bear. I hope that's an encouragement. So, the encouragement of knowing that the uh, hostile enemies all seem so strong, will come and bounce out the cross, and imagine that God loves us. That God will allow us to suffer more than we can bear. And finally, <coughs> um, you will always belong to God and be a citizen of his city. Let me read verses 11 to verse 13. I am coming to see you, hold on for what you have, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar of the temple of my God. Never again will they be this. I will write on the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You'll always be a pillar in the temple of God. So I'm going to give you a picture of it. If you look like that, it very permanent and stable and strong. And that's exactly what is the idea here. Never again will they leave it. We are a temple. We are a pillar in the temple of God. We're in God's place. Strong and stable. I guess if you feel weak and there's a picture of strength and stability. A picture of permanence. And then he goes on. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. He invites a mark of permanence with God. Both putting his mark on, both saying, This one belongs to me. This one is a citizen of my city. Jesus says the church in its weakness and its power, says, you belong to my Father. He has put his name on you. You belong to him. You belong to his new city. You have a permanent place there. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. God is with you. And he is letting you into his fantastic and his wonderful city. Be encouraged. for news about migrants, trying to come across the Channel, trying to come across the Mediterranean. They're desperate for a better life, they're desperate maybe someone that's uh, fleeing war or poverty, instability, they're desperate for a better life, they're desperate for peace, security, they're desperate for prosperity, they're desperate for a future, for their families. And they hope someone coming to Europe will bring those things. So anyway, I hope we can think and see that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are promised something far, far better than this. Uh, we are promised a certain permanent place in God's sight with God as our Lord and Savior. Final question. Final kiss question. Whose name will Jesus, Jesus put on Christians? Whose name will Jesus put on Christians? Well, I want to hang are feeling about the Christian life this morning, if you call yourself a Christian. If you feel, I like feel weak, I feel past, then you are with the Church of Philadelphia, you are with many Christians down the ages, you are with many Christians around the world today. Often as Christians we feel weak and past, those around us are seeking so much more power, so much more influence. Maybe we're facing hostility and opposition. Well, I hope this letter is a great encouragement to you. When I have opened a door into heaven for you, so that no one can shut. Your opponents, yes, they may be strong, yes, they may be powerful, yes, they may be giving you a hard time now, but one day they will come and bow down and acknowledge that God loves you. And ultimately, God has put his mark upon us we belong to God, and we will be citizens in His great kingdom. And so, as that says, just be encouraged. Continue to keep Jesus' word. Continue not to deny His name. Was a question earlier? Really would like to talk about over coffee? When do you feel weak as a Christian? How does this letter encourage you? Well, that's the word that God indeed encourage us? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your grace and your goodness. We thank you uh, for all that you give us. While often we know we feel weak, we thank you for this great assurance. We thank you uh, for the promises here that... um, Those who oppose us will one day come and bow before us. That you will not bear hardships beyond what we can bear. And above all, you have opened this door into heaven so that we can know we belong to you and we belong in your school. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.